You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Welcome! What's up, guys? It's good to see your faces. Um, last time we had a team-led service was about two years ago. Uh, I had a shaved head and no beard, so now I'm up here with lots of hair and more beard. Um, So I'm glad they let me come up to speak again. Uh, It's Mother's Day. That's exciting. Um, Thank you all to all the mothers who have birthed our teens. That's awesome. Really appreciate you guys. Um, I love my mom a lot. Where's Mama? Hey, Mama. Um, She's an awesome woman. You want to find a woman of conviction? Go talk to Catherine Shump. Um... I'm serious. Um, I'm a lot like my mom, so it's, it's allowing me to have a lot more compassion uh, for her because I'm starting to realize I'm a lot more like her than I thought. So you'll start to realize you're a lot more like your parents and then you'll be a lot more compassionate for them over time. <laughs> um, but I love teen-led, so- teen-led services. Uh, part of the reason I love it is because you guys are going to be supportive no matter what. Because everyone's just like, oh, the teens are up here. They're all in tune spiritually. It's so great when teens lead and are up speaking. So I can literally just do the whole lesson in pig Latin. And someone would come up and, bro, you really spoke to my I'm proud of you. You're really fighting the fight in high school. That's great. You guys are awesome. Teens, yeah. So it takes a little bit of the, the pressure off. Uh, thanks to the teens who have gone so far. And Jet Doe rocking the guitar. Uh, I know you're not, you're not a teen yet, but your IQ is probably higher than all of ours combined, so <laughs> great job, Jet. <laughs> um, so you know, my, my teen ministry experience uh, did not start here. Uh, I was, we were down in South Bay. Um, I was not at Cove City High School my freshman year. Uh, I spent at Miracosta High School. Um, but I'm excited that I get to finish my teen ministry experience here in the West, um, a little bit about my life before we get into the lesson. Uh, I became a disciple at the end of my eighth grade year. I've grown up in the church my whole life. Um, and my freshman year of high school was pretty rough. It was, it was hard. I struggled with a lot of sin. Um, cared a lot more about my status than putting on the full armor of Christ. Um, and I made a lot of decisions that I regret. Uh, so, it's funny, about this time, three years ago... Uh, I didn't know where I was going to be for my sophomore year because I talked with my parents and we had decided that we were going to try and get me into Corp City High School because I was struggling spiritually and I wanted to be with, with other disciples. Um, it didn't seem like a reality because we needed to get a permit. Uh, it's hard to get a permit in Culver City, especially so late in high school. Um, so it didn't seem like it was going to be possible. But I really, I, I didn't see myself staying a disciple uh, where I was at. Um, at Miracosta. Um, and you know, the church was going through a lot three years ago. Um, and what's funny is that I really believe coming here helped save my life spiritually. And we came at a time where there was just a lot of stuff going on. And I feel like we were the only pe- person that like came to the West. <laughs> I'm just being real. I feel like a lot of people were just going or coming or leaving and they all had their reasons, I'm not down on anyone, but no one was really coming to the West. 
but we did. And we didn't know everything was going on. We just, I, I was just excited to be with teens in my high school. And I'm really grateful for all of you. I'm really grateful for the Westside Church. I really believe that, that this church is the reason I'm still faithful. I believe if I would have stayed where I was at, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it. I really believe that. I was going down a path that I was just, I wasn't going to make it. So I'm grateful we came here. I'm grateful for all the struggle. I'm really grateful for you guys. Really grateful. Uh, I'm going to go to San Diego State in the fall. Um, graduating June 10th, I think. So, going off to college. Didn't get in UCLA. It's pretty hum- if, you, if you're struggling with your pride and you need to be humble, just to apply to a UC, because they'll probably reject you. And then you'll realize you're not that smart and you're not as good as you thought. Um, title of my lesson today is Jesus is Not Done, also known as that one time Ken Chow let a teenager preach. Um, I've had this on my heart for a while, this, this idea of, of that just Jesus is not done. I think for a lot of us, we kind of initially come into contact with Jesus and, and do the church thing, and it can all be great. And after a while, it can kind of lose its spice. It can kind of lose its flavor. Um, we can start to really shrink Jesus down to a size that's kind of comfortable for us. Um, you know, we know he came and did tons of miracles and fulfilled all these prophecies, and then he died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, and then he went up to heaven, and, and then what? Was that it? Is there supposed to be more? Now what? Returning me to John 21, we're going to be here for the entirety of the lesson. It's a little background, what's going on in John 21? This is the last book in John. So Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to some of his disciples already. And so there's some confusion, right? You read in the earlier chapters that they, the disciples were scared. So they locked themselves away and Jesus had gotten into the rooms. And then you read in chapter 4 about Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He doubted and Jesus appears. And then there's this last chapter of, of John 21. I love, I love the beginning and ends of things because I feel like they're really powerful. So this last chapter, John 21. Let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that this was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We'll stop there. So it starts out in 21. So the disciples are together, right? And Peter's just like, I'm going out to fish. Just random. I'm going out to fish. The other disciples are like, okay, we'll go with you. They go out to fish. And then Jesus, this stranger, appears on the shore, right? And says, friends, do you have any fish? And they couldn't tell that it was Jesus. And they're like, no. And he says, okay, we'll throw your net on the right side, and you'll catch a bunch of fish. So they do that. And then they realize that it's Jesus. And then Peter hops in the water and swims over. Funny, you remember the last time Jesus, Peter hopped in the water to get with Jesus? He didn't care. He almost drowned the last time he hopped in the water with Jesus. But he was so excited, he swam over to see Jesus. But we have to think, why did Jesus do this? Why did he do this miracle? I mean, he had spent like 20 chapters doing miracles. Then he was crucified. Then he was raised from the dead. All the scriptures had been fulfilled. So why another miracle? First point, Jesus is not done doing miracles. I think to answer this question, we have to ask ourselves another question. Why did Peter want to go fishing? Why would Peter want to go fishing? Maybe you've read this before, Matthew 4, 18. This is when the disciples are first called. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus first called Peter, back in the Simon days, he was a fisherman. And he said, yo, you don't have to be a fisherman anymore. Come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. That's your old life. You don't have to do that anymore. And then after Jesus dies and is resurrected and there's all this confusion, Peter just returns to his old life. He kind of just says, I'm going to go fish again. And the other guys are like, all right. He returned to his old life as a fisherman. You know, we all have a life before being a disciple, right? And then we have our disciple life. And then slowly our past life can creep back into our disciple life. We can get complacent. Maybe Peter was thinking, I thought, where's the kingdom of God? Wasn't it coming? 
Wasn't Jesus supposed to do more? He got complacent. So what does he do? He defaults to his old life, his past habits. Okay, I guess I'll just go fishing. Jesus isn't really here by my side anymore. I don't really have that much of a purpose. I'm just going to go fishing again. He returns to his old life. He returns to his old habits. Maybe you can relate. I know I can. You know, around middle school, I had purity problems, you know? Men, women, we got purity problems. It happens. Dabbled into a lot of pornography and started studying the Bible, decided to repent. I left that life behind, became a Christian. And a few months into my disciple life, I went back. Went back to my old habits. And I spent the first two years of my disciple life addicted to pornography. My spiritual, fourth spiritual birthday was last month. For the first two years of my teen disciple life, the first years in high school, I was 100% addicted to pornography. I completely went back to my old habits. Because Jesus was great for like a month after becoming a disciple, I was fired up. Getting up at like 5.30, having a quiet time. It was awesome. But then over time, it just, is that it? And we returned to our past habits. Maybe you can relate. Maybe. I know I can. You know, Jesus has to show his power through miracles to bring us back. When you look at this miracle, ultimately, he just met their needs. They needed fish, and Jesus gave them fish. That was literally it. Guys, modern-day miracles are when our needs are met. Because we all have needs. I really believe every single person on this earth is searching for God, but they don't even know it. They're searching for something more. Because that's God, right? God is something more. Something more than just our, our, our normal, boring lives. So they look for it in drugs, or sex, or pornography, or wherever you want to find it. Gambling. I don't know. Addictions. Kenzie said his addiction was basketball. Where, wherever you got to go, there's different addictions. you got to go to stuff to feel a high. you got to feel riveted. They're just looking for God. One, we've got to have compassion. Because everyone, everyone is just looking for something more, and that's why they dabble in stuff. I was just looking for something more. But everyone is looking for God. And when we get those needs met, when we realize that we don't need those addictions, when we don't need those highs to meet our needs, guys, that's a miracle. Having our needs met, that is a miracle. They needed fish. Jesus gave them fish. What are your needs? What are your needs? Write it down. It's a teenless service. You can still take notes. I know I'm not a preacher. You can still take notes. What are your needs? And where are you going to to find those needs? You know, Jesus uses these miracles to call us. Let's continue. John 21, verse 15. Let's continue in the story. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But you are old and you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus had to reinstate Peter, right? We all know what happened in, in Matthew 26. You know, Jesus is the night before he's going to be crucified, and, and Peter denies him three times. And Jesus had predicted it to a servant girl. He says, I don't know Jesus, and he calls down curses on himself. I think what's really interesting is that this happened before Jesus took the cross. So when Jesus took the cross, what happened? Sins were forgiven. So Peter's sins were forgiven. His hands were clean. He was good. But Jesus still chose to reinstate him. Three times. You know, teens, maybe you can relate to your parents asking you three times to do something. That third time is the worst. I'm telling you. Justin, can you take out the trash? Yeah, Mom, my show's over in ten minutes. Two minutes later. Justin, please take out the trash. Mom, five more minutes. It's almost over. And then that third time. Oof. Justin, take out the trash. Mom, there's two minutes left. I'm going to take it out. Stop nagging me. You guys are late teens or parents. You got that third time. The third time's dangerous. You got to be careful with that third time. You know, it says Peter was upset. Jesus asked him three times. I don't know why it didn't click. It's like, dude, you denied him three times. How do you think Jesus felt about that? His sins were forgiven, but he still had to be reinstated. Jesus is not done calling his disciples. Jesus is not done calling his disciples. Audrine Fune is going to come up and share for a little bit. My name is Audrina Funay, and I am a freshman at the Culver City, wonderful Culver City High School. Yay! Um, so I really appreciate Justin's point about how God, uh, God is constantly calling us, and he does make things happen. I remember a time, um, a few years ago actually, my younger brother, he was in the ER for the third time because of his asthma, um, and it was really hard to just see him not having difficulty to breathe, um, and my parents were arguing during that time period, and it was difficult for me and my sister to hear. I mean, it was really tough to go through, too, um, and I just had a breakdown. Um, I, didn't, I was unsure about the future, what would happen, and I went to the Bible for, like, the first time I remembered, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I'll read it. Um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Um, this was definitely what I needed at um, this point. It gave me comfort, gave me hope and reassurance that everything was going to be all right and that God does have a plan for me not to harm me. Um, and I realize now that Jesus was calling me through all this. Currently, I'm studying the Bible, and though I'm not yet enlisted, God still reaches out for me. And he will always be calling us for the rest of our lives. Thanks for letting me share. Awesome. Thank you, Audrine. They're not ready to let me do a full sermon, so we had to throw someone else in. No, Audrina, I really appreciate what you shared. I think what I really get from that is that, you know, God calls us in unique ways. Maybe we didn't deny him three times and he has to reinstate us, but he calls us in unique ways, right? Jesus is not done calling his disciples. I think what's really interesting is the last thing Jesus says, follow me. He ends out with, follow me. Look at this. This is Matthew 4 we read earlier, when Peter's first called. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then John 21, feed my sheep, and at the very end, follow me. It starts with follow me, and it ends with follow me. And there's some great stuff in between, right? Fish for men, evangelize. Take care of my sheep, take care of the church. But evangelism by itself is not Christianity. And doing stuff for a church is not Christianity. Christianity is following Jesus. It starts with follow me, and it ends with follow me. The first thing he said, and the last thing he said. That's what's important. we got to focus more on that, guys. Evangelism's great. That's our purpose. Taking care of each other is great. That's our purpose. You know what's even greater? Following Jesus. There'd be so much less drama if that's what we first went to. But we worry so much about the other things first, and then following Jesus. And a lot of times, we try and evangelize, without actually following Jesus. And that's why it doesn't work. I was trying to reach out to people, but I was addicted to pornography. How am I supposed to recreate myself when I can't even deal with my own issues? Because that's what evangelism is. You're recreating yourself into others, because that's what Jesus did. You've got to follow him first. And it's easy to let leadership become Christianity. You know, I'm the senior guy. I'm leading Bible talk. I'm supposed to be doing things, Right? It's so easy for me, for my leadership, to become my Christianity. For what I'm doing, to think that I'm considered righteous because of the things I do. Your leadership is not your Christianity. Christianity is following Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do. You've got to follow him. But nowadays, the word follow is just used so loosely. Right? We follow people on Instagram, or Twitter, or SoundCloud, or whatever you want, a Tumblr. I don't even know what Tumblr is. Is it a wheel? Are you tumbling? I don't... 
But you, we follow people, right? But what did Jesus mean by follow? The Greek word for follow is akalatheo. That's the Greek word. And this is not a light word. This is not like follow behind me. Like you see the little birds when or the, the ducks when they walk and they got little ducklings behind it. And it's all cute, right? That's not what this word means. This word means to follow closely. What it means is to enlist. To enlist is a lot different than following. To enlist, to sign up for, to go after, to consume yourself in. You know, when you enlist for the army, you're there 24-7. You're eating their food, you're working at their hours, you enlist. You know, I mentioned college earlier. Something we got a lot of us have to enlist for, right? You know, I'm going off to college, um, and so your, your sophomore and junior year, you, do, you take a thing called a PSAT, right? The practice SAT, and they get your email. And I'm pretty sure it's literally just a scam to get your email. They don't care about giving you a practice test. They get your email and your address, and they start sending you a bunch of mail of colleges you've never heard of. So you, start, you check off your Christian, you check off your race, and they start sending you a bunch of Christian colleges and all this stuff. So I, I saved a lot of this mail, right? So here's one. Some of them send you big stuff. Westminster College in Salt Lake City. Never heard of it. Sorry if you went there. This one's cool. Harding. I don't know what Harding is. They all have these cheesy smiles on the, on the papers. They all look really happy. Come to my college, enlist, right? Harding. Never heard of it. This is one of my favorites. This is probably the best college. A lot of them were not very good colleges. University of Chicago, like, gave me a map of Chicago. This is awesome. Look at this. Look at that. Woo! This is where your tuition's going to. They're, they're, they're paying to send these out. University of Chicago, right? All this mail. Look at all this. It's like... This is overwhelming. These are not good colleges. I'm not trying to brag. A lot of these are colleges I've never heard of. I probably wouldn't even get into half these colleges if I applied to them. But what's the point? These colleges want me to enlist. They want me to sign up. And they're calling me. And it can feel good when we get these, this college mail, right? Oh, this is cool. Someone wants me. How much more when Jesus is calling us? Because Jesus is calling us to enlist, to sign up. But he doesn't care about how much money our parents make. He doesn't care about our SAT score or our GPA. You know, I had a good GPA. I did a bunch of Hope Youth Corps, had more community service hours than Mother Teresa. I thought I was going to, I had a chance to get into UCLA, right? They want well-rounded. I wasn't amazingly smart. I had an average score on the SAT. But that, that, I, I wasn't what they were looking for. And it's humbling. UCLA wasn't looking for me. Neither was UC San Diego. But <laughs> San Diego State, baby. <laughs> Woo! Aztecs. I'm excited. So what's the point? In order to be reinstated, we must re-enlist. In order to be reinstated, we must re-enlist. And this is not a one-time decision. I'm just going to be real for a second. 
we freak out about the whole praying Jesus into our heart thing, right? Oh, that's not good. You pray Jesus into your heart, but then you don't live the life. Real Christians got to live the life. Guys, we're no better if we don't live the life. There's no difference. You can choose to be a Christian, pray Jesus in your heart, whatever. There's doctrinal issues there, obviously. But if we just, be, just decide to become a Christian, we enlist once, and then don't continue to enlist, we're in the same boat. It's not a one-time thing. Jesus is calling us, and he's not done calling us. Peter's sins were forgiven, but he still had to be called. Your sins are forgiven. They're good. But you still have to be called back. Constantly. Akalatheo, enlist. Follow closely. Because in order to be reinstated, we must re-enlist. We're going to end off verse 25 of John 21. I love this right here. The last sentence says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I'll read it one more time. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were to be written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus will never be done. You know, a lot of theologians debate on what this means. Some of them say, you know, this is true. Jesus did so much when he was here that you couldn't write it down. That seems a little hard to believe. He was here for 30-something years, right? You could probably write down all the things he did. Fill the books in the world. Some people believe that this is just the author John using hyperbole to describe all the amazing things Jesus did. It's just a kind of a great exaggeration. Oh, Jesus was so great that you couldn't fill the books in the world with all his great stuff, right? I think these theologians need to just, like, chill a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. <laughs> but really, just I, I, just, I read this and it makes sense. Because Jesus is not done. Because the theologians are putting a cap on that. They're saying that this only makes sense for when Jesus was here. No, Jesus' power continued after. And it's still continuing. So every small thing Jesus has done or had an impact on in anyone's life for the past 2,000 years is a little too much to write down. That just makes sense. Because Jesus has had power in people's lives for the past 2,000 years. He's had power. We couldn't even write a book about all the things he's done in your life. Daily. By the hour. Conflict resolution. Being set free from addictions. Overcoming insecurity. These are daily things. And it all gets back to Jesus. Because none of that would happen without Jesus' power. You couldn't fill a book. You couldn't fill the whole world with books of Jesus' power, of things he's done. I truly believe that. If you counted every small thing, every time you said no to something, 
Every time you had that small victory, it's infinite. You can't measure that. There's no calculus, you know, formula to measure that. And every small thing in your life is from God. Jesus will never be done. He's not done now, and he will never be done. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.